Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So after all that drama, all that chat about these these new players coming through, we end up with the same two in the men's draw that have played each other 56 times previously and they meet again in the Rome final. And uh, in keeping with that, we've got the same people on the podcast. There's me, David Law. There's Catherine Whitaker. There's Matt Roberts. Hello, both of you. How are you doing? Hello. We all right? Yeah. Yeah. Very all right. Disappointed not to be the next gen. I'd, I'd think that in, in these podcast terms, I would, oh, I suppose Matt's the next gen, isn't he? I'm sort of, I'm Grigor Dimitrov. <laughs> Who is 30 years of age today. Uh, it's Grigor Dimitrov Day. Goodness. Mm. How did that happen? He he um, did an Instagram post about how delighted he is to be 30. He's very grateful for the gifts that life has given him. He's not as sad as we are about him being 30, which I think <laughs> is a, a relief. It's a heartwarming thing, isn't it? Because yeah. he's he is a lovely bloke, <laughs> yeah. is uh, Grigor. And you want him to be happy. Yes. Um, and actually, I still think he could do something one day. Oh, oh David. Oh, just... God. <laughs> <laughs> Notice uh, how vague anyway. he keeps it, Matt. Do something yes. one day. What on <laughs> earth does that mean? Away. Will he take our breath away, David? Yeah, he, he will. He will. Mm. I don't exactly know. Not in quite the same way Federer did all those years ago. <laughs> but anyway, where should we start? Shall we start with installment 57 of Nadal or and against Djokovic, or shall we start with the the women's draw, which finished in forty five minutes? What's your preference? Well, oh, you could you could phrase that as the real next gen, which exists yeah. in in women's tennis. Well, ironically. I think that's talked me into it because Iga Swiatek. You're right. I mean, she is everything that men's tennis has been trying to promise us is on the way, and Swiatek has just come in bash the door down in the space of six months and she's just said right then what we got here and she's taken on all comers and okay in the last few months there have been some players who've 
who found ways to beat her. You think of Simona Halep in that match in in Australia, which was a, which was really interesting one. And and Ash Barty recently was that in Madrid or mm, was that Madrid. in Stuttgart? I can't remember. Yeah, uh, and and just I find it so intriguing watching Svantec come up against various different players uh, as as she's in such formative stages of her career and yet she's done so much already and yet here she is it's like she has a gear that we've only seen so far last year in Roland Garros and here now in Rome I think there was that brief one in the start of the year in Australia when she lost about 21 games in the whole tournament but when she turns that on it's it doesn't feel like anybody can really live with her Catherine I mean what what have you seen from her this week? What what's what happens when she hits that gear? Well, it takes my breath away, for starters. I, I luckily it wasn't long enough for me to get locked jaw, but uh, I I had my jaw on the ground for most of that final today. Ordinarily, no matter who the players are involved, how I feel about the players, how much I enjoy their tennis, celebrate their success, I don't enjoy uncompetitive tennis. I would always rather enjoy a nip-and-tuck, drama-filled, competitive match between anybody than a one-sided match involving anyone else. I mean, I particularly like whatever. It's something I've always sort of clanged with massive Federer fans in in the Federer heyday about, um, you know, as much as I appreciated and could see that he was doing something truly glorious. I just didn't enjoy him being so much better than everyone else. And, and that's applied to to anyone that's sort of separated themselves from the field. Um, and I didn't feel that today about Iga Svantec's performance. And I think time will tell. I think I'll, be, I'll better know in hindsight what to attribute that to. I think it's partly novelty value, partly the fact that she's 19 doing this at 19, partly the fact that I think a lot of people were ready to put her run at Roland Garros last year down, not as a flash in the pan, but certainly something that she wouldn't be able to replicate. And I know winning Rome isn't the same as winning Roland Garros, but my goodness me, you know, it, it was a, it was a statement of intent, what we saw from her in Rome this week. And I know someone will point to the limp challenge of Karolina Pliskova today um, as a factor in how dominant Svantec looked but I think she just she might not have been might as well not have been carrying a racket today that is the extent to which she had no control over that match and yes she did look lacking in fight and lacking in will to to try to to try different things against Svantec. But Pliskova has been around the block a few times and when has she ever tried new things? You know, new things aren't her game. She's got a great game. And if it's if it's being taken apart like that, I'm not quite sure. I can understand her just looking lost really and and you know, we know that Pliskova isn't somebody that wears her fight on her sleeve. And it was it was humiliating for her today, utterly humiliating. And I I felt for her desperately, but equally 
I was very glad not to see Shviontek gift her a game at the end because I I think there are players that would. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think there are I think there are lots of us folk in tennis that might have thought Shviontek would be the sort of person that would. Um but she's not. She's a ruthless yeah. champion. There was glee in the way mm. she celebrated match point having just sealed a six-love, six-love win mm. over Carolina Pliskova, who managed to win 13 points. It's the first double bagel in the final of the Italian Open on either side, men's or women's. And that is incredible, really, when you consider this tournament dates back. Okay, there were there were... There was a big gap in its history, but it started in 1930. And uh, and here we had two worthy finalists. And, and I mean, nobody was predicting a scoreline this one-sided. I did think Sviantek would win. But, I mean, Matt, what, what, what did you make of it? And, and the sort of shock value, uh, both in terms of the scoreline, but in terms – I mean, I, 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 I'm a little, I feel a little bit like Catherine. You sort of – I'm desperately wanting people to give Sviantec all the credits rather than just slam Pliskova or slam women's tennis because it's not competitive. Because for a start, God knows how many fantastic three-tester setters have we had recently from all these wonderful players. But that was the sort of performance that should have us, I think, all going gaga about how wonderful it was. Yeah, I mean, my take is that Whenever there's a really lopsided scoreline between two top, top players, there has to be something going on 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 both sides. Somebody has to be playing brilliantly and somebody has to be having a horrible day. And I think you can recognize that Pliskova had a, a bad day, a very bad day, but that doesn't take away from what Sviantek did. I, I've I've really not quite processed it and we've had several hours but it's it's still blowing me away how good that tennis was um i think particularly so because i watched her earlier in the tournament and it wasn't like roland garros this this week for her in rome she had to fight and find her best tennis this Mm -hmm. week whereas in roland garros i think maybe one of the reasons why and I agree with you, Catherine, I don't think people necessarily thought it was a flash in the pan, but I think there was some perception that perhaps it was just a real purple patch and she might not be able to hit that again. And she might not for two weeks. But what she's proved in Rome is that she has that level in her. She just needs to find it. And I find that so impressive, the way she stayed calm when she wasn't playing well earlier in the tournament. She beat Svitolina and Goff in the semifinals on the same day. And that was the day when she found her tennis. Her shot making was back. And then she came out in this final against Pliskova and ruthless is the word. And maybe as well, it's surprising because of everything we know Sviantec to be off court. She's nice. She's interesting. She's interested. She's thoughtful. She's She doesn't come across as someone who is mean and ruthless, but that is just what she is as a tennis player. And those are... I mean that in the nicest possible way. Those are two big compliments. Um, And I remember in the Roland Garros final, Kenin took a medical timeout in that final and there was a possibility that the match could turn and Sviantec 
was ruthless then. She just put her away. I think she went on a streak of winning multiple points in a row. This is this is a quality she's got in her game. As you said, there was that tournament in Adelaide where she barely dropped a game all week. When she wins, she seems to win really big. And it's a level of tennis that is, yeah, close to untouchable, especially on clay, which seems to accentuate all the great parts of her game, that top spin, the angles, the creativity she plays with. She holds two of the biggest clay court tournaments as a teenager. She is a, a huge, huge force, I think, on all surfaces, but especially clay at the moment. Mm. Yeah, Catherine reminded me halfway through that or towards that maybe during the, the ceremony that this is a player who won junior Wimbledon. Mm. And, I, and I remember after Roland Garros, I went and had a look at the highlights of that junior Wimbledon final. And she doesn't look any different. I mean, she doesn't look much older. She was playing like this then on grass. And it was very exciting. I mean, I know you you marked our cards, Matt, a good while ago, before I'd really watched Sviantec play, to be quite honest with you. Um, but yeah, it's if she can find this often enough... I don't, I don't know. I don't. It's going to be so fascinating to see people try to stop this. Players like Sabalenka, maybe with the the awesomeness of her power, Osaka, because we know what she can do. Barty with her guile, and you know she managed to decode it the other week, didn't she? Um, it's just, it's just delicious. The, I mean, the, to put that week into perspective of of it not all being plain sailing you may remember on thursday in our show we were talking about the the two match points she saved against barbara krachikova you know that's that showed another side to her um and uh it's good it's just going to be the best i can't wait for the french open now ah oh. <laughs> i i wanted to win it because i want someone to have won two french opens in a year <laughs> i want that uh, well, I mean, Rafa, can, Nadal might Rafa do can do it as well if he likes. <laughs> yeah. But it, I feel it, like that will just get lost in the sea of, of Rafa French mm. Open statistics. And maybe in the fullness of time, that would be the case for Svantec as well. But I want that quirk of a statistic to exist and to be asked about in pub quizzes in <laughs> 80 years' time. <laughs> Any concerns for you over Ash Barty's mid-match retirement the other day? Because she was set up, wasn't she, when she pulled the plug? Yeah. Well, she'd been playing with the strapping on her thigh all week. Um, and it it wasn't actually the thigh that she cited as, as the reason for retiring mid-match. It was her it was her arm, wasn't it? It was her right arm, her racket arm. Um it was against Coco Goff, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, and she was leading by a set, and I think it was on on serve in the second mm. set. Um, look, I think those were really challenging conditions. The the cold, the dampness. In in short, no, I don't read too much into it. I don't. I don't quite see it as a preventative retirement. Um, she obviously was feeling something, um, but equally, it. it you know, there's two more weeks before the French Open. She's got plenty of matches. I I don't read too much into it at all. I think the reason I feel okay about it is that she said it's it's a problem she's had on and off for years, I think was the quote, which might be 
a cause for alarm. You think, oh my gosh, Ash Barty's got this injury that she mm. can't shake off. But I think what it means is that she knows how to deal with it. And she said the pain was just a bit severe in that moment. Looking ahead, she knows she's got a slam soon. I think she listened to what her body was telling her and she thought the sensible thing to do now is is to stop before I potentially make it worse. But I, I get the feeling if it had been a slam final when that happened, she probably would have played through it. I think I think it's something that she manages and she knows how to manage. So look, it's 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 never great when someone retires mid match. There's always a little bit of concern, but I think I think she'll be okay. It was a damp, dreary day, mm. wasn't oh. it, that one? And and it was cold and, and the men's match was not going on when theirs was. Um, mm. when in the same conditions, which was all a bit weird, and the, and then yeah, party mm. pulled. Is this in, in my very uh, human, non-elite athlete uh, way uh, of managing a chronic injury? Um, those sorts of conditions. When I see those sorts of conditions out of my window, sort of winter or summer, I. I internally groan and think, oh, everything's just going to hurt today. Um, that's that damp sort of you can never quite get warm unless you have a mm. bath. You can't really get properly warm. Everything's just going to feel a bit sort of damp and slow and blah. Maybe um, Barty went and had some twiglets and a nap. <laughs> and a bath. You know, it's it's something that's working for me, and uh, if I can impart my wisdom in a way that helps others, then I'm I'm happy to be that inspiration. Hey, by the way, uh, well done, Petra Martic as well, getting to the semi final. She had a really good tournament, and uh, eventually lost out to Pliskova in the semis. But um, I quite like Petra Martic. I also really mm. liked seeing Francesca Schiavoni in her coaching corner, who's had a tough time. I mean, she's a wonderful champion in her own right. One of the, it's Italy's favorite players and was a French open champion and, uh, and suffered with cancer, uh, two or three years ago, thankfully has come through that is in remission now. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there she is in the coaching corner of Petra Martic and seemingly making a really positive impact. So that was a lovely sight. Um, in the doubles, there was a victory for Sharon Fishman and Juliana Olmos notched the biggest title of their careers, Matt's written here, uh, saved two match, two championship points uh, in a 4-6-7-5-10-5 come-from-behind win over Kristina Mladenovic and Marketa Vondrusheva. I have no idea if I've said Juliana Olmos right, but uh, that's my best go at it. Well, Olmos is the one I've I've heard of of the two of them. Um, oh, really? Okay. We've covered uh, Juliana Olmos on on Prime before, and that's certainly how I've said her name. Uh, Fishman right. is new on me. I I would love it if she were one of our backers and got a <laughs> shout out. <laughs> I'd have lots of love fun to with tackle her. Fishman. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, we had Novak Djokovic against Rafael Nadal after all that. And all that, just as a brief reminder, Rafael Nadal faced... Denis Shapovalov and saved match points earlier in the week. He had that hard-fought win over Yannick Sinner. Who was the one he beat after Shapovalov? I'm forgetting now. Zverev. Zverev and Zverev, then Apelka. Yeah. yeah, came through those. And, yeah, Apelka, who'd, uh, who'd done incredibly well to get to the semi-finals, to be quite honest, um, on, a, on a, a clay court, which he said... He really, really isn't his thing. He goes, it's not really my thing. It's probably a fluke, <laughs> which I loved um, in his, in his on-court interview. And uh, but he got himself a good win in the in the quarterfinals. Got uh, got all the way into the semis. Um, but yeah, uh, Who did he beat Nadal in the quarters? was Del Bonis. Del Bonis. Oh, well done. Sky That's high memory. ball toss, Del Bonis. Yes, indeed. Maybe he's trying to. I wonder if his ball toss goes as high as Riley's big hair up on top of that seven foot frame of his. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Um, imagine if Apelka had a ball toss like Del Bonish. You'd be talking about 12 <laughs> feet in the air. Um, anyway. Uh, Nadal took care of him in straight sets in the end, 6 4, 6 4, I think it was. And we had. I mean, really, it's it's a fascinating story because Nadal Djokovic doesn't feel to me like the story of the tournament. Although it was a good final today, it was one seven five one six six three. I think the things I will remember from it are that Nadal somehow managed to win the tournament again, and by the way, he won it for a tenth time. And I remember when they said that, I was thinking, "Crikey, I thought he hadn't done that well at the." <laughs> in Rome because it's all blooming relative to having won 13 French Ovens. Um, when they said that, I thought, oh, La Decima is so like four years ago. Yeah, so 2017. <laughs> yeah, Nadal. I haven't Come thought on. about the world Decima for, for yeah. ages. But I also feel like Djokovic 
can come out of this tournament really feeling good about himself because of the way he fought through on Saturday. Now I'm going to hand over to Matt to tell us the story of Saturday because I have to say I was driving my son uh, on Saturday morning to his football match and I just sort of, I think I just caught a glimpse of one of Matt's tweets and he was going ballistic about how good this match he was watching was. So tell us about Saturday and Novak Djokovic, Matt. Well, I think it was the best match I've seen this year as a contest you know if the the ingredients of a good match are you know high quality momentum swings some epic back and forth games and and a crackling atmosphere and it had all of those things it was a match which resumed after the rain delay and and when they restarted Sitsipas was a set and a break up and I saw something in Sitsipas that, David, I know you've certainly seen in Sitsipas before about just how big he is and how strong he is. I remember when he beat Federer at the ATP finals a couple of years ago. You mentioned that, how if, if it feels like a bigger, stronger version in a way. And, you know, I've, I've always accepted that, but I've always thought that Djokovic doesn't get bullied. He doesn't get bullied around, even by these big, strong people. But that's what was happening. Sitsipas was dictating Djokovic, which just just that kind of blew me away, that sight. But then what Djokovic managed to do to counter that was incredible. It, it just sort of shows the the total mastery he has of tennis. You know, he he's getting dictated to, so he can come up with other things. He was using that drop shot. He was redirecting the ball up the line and in the real crux moments Andy Roddick said it on Twitter Djokovic is the one who feels the safest and it was a match of tight moments and it was incredible the way Djokovic managed to turn that second set around then he went a breakdown in that third set again Sitsipas served for the match and Djokovic still won it and I just thought it was a remarkable, remarkable high quality match. Uh, Sitsipas was playing with such belief he really believes he he belongs against Djokovic and Nadal especially on clay and he, and he does he's had two very very tight losses to them this season but he's right on track he's really underlining just how good he is and yet at the same time we saw a little bit of it in the post-match ceremony after the final Djokovic made that comment about the next gen he's irritated by people talking about the next gen he says I'm still here Nadal and I are still here. We're still winning these tournaments. And that dynamic of Tsitsipas challenging Djokovic and Djokovic standing up to it and almost being protective over his own status at the top just played out over two, three hours of glorious, glorious tennis. And it was kind of everything. It was it was just so, so great. And then Djokovic played another great match in in the evening against Sonigo, who was one of the one of the stories of the tournament as well. This 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 Italian showman with substance is how I, I think of him. Is the show is not the most important aspect for him. He's got this attitude and this fight, and he will warm to a crowd when they warm to him. And he brought so much to this tournament. He's got a huge forehand and drop shot, and Djokovic really had to fight through. And I agree with you. I think he really found his tennis that he'd been looking for on Saturday when he when he played those matches. What, what do you make of uh, Lorenzo Sonigo? 
Catherine, from what you've seen? I really want to know whether it is coincidence that he looks a bit like the Karate Kid <laughs> and wears the Karate Kid bandana or whether someone at some stage in his life said to him, you look a bit like the Karate Kid. Have you ever considered wearing a wearing a bandana? And he went, oh. <laughs> um, I really need to know the answer to that question. Uh, my brother and I were talking about it today and he pointed out that Sonigo is what is he 25 26 and depressingly uh the original karate kid is probably not a part of his cultural consciousness yeah but catherine he's probably watched cobra kai hasn't he what's that you know even i've watched that have you not been watching that oh you want to get on that it's on a what what is it what's that thing called netflix um where (laughs) yeah They've got they've got this show called Cobra Kai, which is bringing us up to date with the Karate no. Kid characters no, thirty inter- years on. I'm not interested in that at all. It's amazing. No, it's amazing. No. You've David, got you've got to watch it. That was incredible how you went from sounding really really with it to watch that <laughs> yeah. thing Netflix. <laughs> it's so good, yeah. honestly. You've got to see yeah. it. No, it's I, I I could not possibly be less interested in in that. <laughs> Um, no, I just want to go back and watch the original Karate Kid trilogy. Thanks. Well, how can you know? You you don't know then. Next, you'll be trying to sell me the remake with Will Smith's son. No, I won't be. Not interested. Listeners, if you you love the tennis podcast, tell Catherine what's what as as regards to Cobra Kai. Mm. Anyway. um, But anyway, I don't know know anyone involved in whatever that word is you're saying, but... (laughs) He looks He's like the original it. actor that played the Karate Kid. The original actor's in Cobra Kai. Oh, but probably like playing the dad or something. <laughs> this sounds so depressing. It's really not. Is he playing she... the dad? Well, he, I mean, he is a dad by now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but also, his but old But what I'm saying, but it doesn't make sense. He's like He's the not, star uh, of the show. It's Lorenzo so Sonigo isn't inspired by this crap. No, <laughs> is he, he probably is. If you if you would just watch it, I'm going to keep trying, listeners. You won't have it anyway. Matt, um, do you know what I'm talking about when I say Lorenzo Sonigo looks yes. like the original Karate yeah. Kid? Yeah. Okay. I think you'll be aware of it. I think do you'll. You? I think okay. you'll know. Yeah. Okay. Well, they keep having flashbacks. Why didn't you chip in with that five minutes ago and say this was way too fun? (laughs) But honestly, they keep having flashbacks to all three movies. It's just so good. So Uh, they got. Hang on, have Netflix got the right to the rights to the movies that they sort of flash in? Absolutely, it's fantastic. I mean, okay, that sounds quite good. They bring all the storylines up to date and up to date with where they are in their lives now. I'm really oh, worried. I'm really worried though that Mr. Miyagi is dead. He, he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd Both rather just. I'd rather just and... go back. I'd rather go back to a time when Mr. Miyagi is still alive, and and live in that time for a bit. For well, I've got the hours. VHS if you want. So you know you can have that if you like. Um, <laughs> Oh, no, they've, they've probably got it on that Netflix thing, haven't they? Anyway, but I, in, so... in, in answer to what your actual question was, I too was very swept up uh, by Lorenzo Sonigo. And um, his match against 
Djokovic when he where so Djokovic broke at the uh, Djokovic broke to serve out the match uh, in the second set. Sonigo broke back, forced a oh, tie yeah. break, took the On tie the break, forced oh. it to a third, and it was one of those third sets that you sort of knew was academic. It wasn't about him winning the match. It was about him giving the crowd more tennis. It was about mm. that moment and winning that set and also creating da-da-da COVID curfew drama, which I am increasingly uh, thinking is the... Uh, I mean, there aren't many contenders for this title, I give you, but the the... The best thing to come out of this GD pandemic is COVID curfew drama in sport. <laughs> I love it when the crowd, the crowd that are making a match, are suddenly on the clock and it's ticking. And it, yeah, it's it's great. Djokovic played four hours and fifty six minutes on Saturday. Um, I, I find him a really interesting case study, just for his incredible resilience and ability to just keep getting through these matches no matter how hard no matter how tired all this sort of thing or or he can bail out if it really isn't there that day he can bail out it's he's not Nadal Nadal is going to bring it every single match. He might come up short, but he'll always, always bring it. He's not a moody player. He's not, um, and 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 I'm not denigrating Djokovic by saying that there is there is no other Nadal. There is only one in that way. Djokovic has something else. He has that. He has a perseverance. He has a. I think Matt, you described it very well. His his get his sort of match management, his ability to tap into other things in order to get the win. And when he is in the mood to be resilient and defiant, and we've seen it in those not only the physical battles but the the emotional ones with a crowd against him, he has that which which is almost unique as well. But on this day, because the, the night before, the, when you talked about how he he resumed a set and a break down. He was grumpy that day before. That was the day Ash Barty had pulled out with with the injury, and it was damp and it was dreary. and And I did look at Djokovic and think that night, his his heart isn't really in this right now. He's hating every minute of this, and that rain delay, that that raining it off for the night, and it was kind of right. Which Djokovic is going to come out? Is it going to be one who's thinking, do you know what? I don't really need this. I want to win the French Open. I'm just going to put my feet up. I'm not going to give Sid Sebast the satisfaction of a proper win. You know, he can he can have whatever. Or it's going to be over my dead body. Are you going to beat me, mate? And that's the one that came out. And wasn't that just the best to see? That's that's what we love from these great champions when they're properly challenged by these young players. When and it's it's all too infrequent, really. But Sid Sebast is grabbing the opportunity. He's only just short now. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, by the way, just just on Nadal, before we get on to the final, I did notice in the match against Verev, I know he won that match, but he looks quite vulnerable in that match to me. He was dropping his forehands so short, which I always feel like is a telltale sign with Nadal when he's a bit nervy and a, a bit anxious. 
was that different in this final? Because I didn't watch that much of the final today. Again, I was on dad duty. So was was the Nadal game, I mean, he won in three sets. It was obviously decent, wasn't it? But what, what did you make of, of, of his tennis today, Matt? I thought he was good today. I thought he was very good. He had a tough week. I mean, we talk about Tsitsipas being a young player challenging him. Nadal played a lot of young players who just went after him, hit aggressively at him. Sinner did it. Shapovalov did it. Zverev did it. Apelka had his serve that was problematic briefly for him. Um, So he was really, I think, playing. He had to be playing quite well to overcome all of that. And by the time he'd got to the final, I thought it was a very good performance. I don't think it will go down as a, a as a classic between Nadal and Djokovic. Um, it was intriguing, you know, so much shared history. Their rallies can be really interesting, tactical. But it was a slightly odd match. Nadal, I thought, was the better player in the first set, won the first set. And then you... When I analyse a match like this, I'm, I'm looking for a turning point. I'm looking for something to happen that caused the momentum to shift but there wasn't really one it just suddenly seemed that Nadal's level and honestly Nadal's intensity dropped in the second set which is so rare and Djokovic was composed and won that second set 6-1 and you're thinking okay this this match is really on a knife edge here but then Nadal resisted some early Djokovic pressure in that third set and then just sort of clicked back into gear, went went into overdrive, played a whole game of winners to break serve. And in the end, it was a very good and complete performance from Nadal. Um, I think it's been the perfect week for him. If there were any doubts at all after Madrid, they've completely gone. I think we can put that down to altitude and it's a clay court anomaly, really. Um, this was more similar to the conditions you're going to get at Roland Garros. And he's fended off a lot of opponents who can cause him a lot of trouble. And we know that the gap widens when it gets to Roland Garros. I mean, you can't you can't take him for granted. He still has to turn up and play and deliver, but he normally does that. So I think Nadal's in a just, just where he wants to be um, going into Roland Garros. The two weeks is interesting, isn't it? Is it too much time? for everyone you know the search for practice partners uh, to get sort of match condition style practices I think is going to be really significant I mean this it, this is an unusual situation there every other slam there is a a significant event in the men's and women's two weeks before it's the optimal time two weeks before to have your pre-slam peak Mm. Um, and obviously every, all players are in the same boat other than those that either low, the low rank players that are anticipating going less far at Grand Slams therefore are more likely to schedule um, playing tournaments in, in the week before a slam or those that lost early in Rome and have taken wild cards into tournaments next week. I, I am, I'm interested to know whether that has any impact at all you know if team has an amazing week next week is that a, a, let's say he went where's is he taking a wild card in Lyon Lyon mm-hmm. yeah let's say he wins Lyon that's a that's a timeline wise traditionally that's a better week to win a tournament 
and be be having your pre-peak than this week. Um, I don't know, might be a very minor academic thing in the scheme of things, but it it's going to be interesting. Is is two weeks too much? You know, mm, does I, I think, does is it long enough for momentum to fade? Yeah, that, that I mean, given that Nadal is the the player that you feel has always liked having a lot of matches, to, and and particularly with this run, that he's only mm. now that it feels like he's played himself into peak form right at the end of this run. Um, is not being able to just carry on and keep going mm. a, a an issue when you consider that they had Rome and this back-to-back in October, didn't they? And and he played his way into form in that tournament. Absolutely. It's not like in years gone by where, okay, it might have taken a few matches for him to reach his clay court groove, but he's there pretty quickly and he wins Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome. He goes on to Paris and wins there. You know, even a lot of the earlier, as you pointed out, the Zverev match in particular, he was not in the groove. There were a lot of the telltale signs of, of Nadal not being where he wants to be ahead of Roland Garros. For me, the final today was a massive step up for Nadal. The second set was was very un-Nadal-like in terms of the drop in intensity. But tennis-wise, today was the massive step up as far as I'm concerned. Um, so it's not like... He's really, really there and totally in the groove in a in a deeply ingrained way. It does feel like perhaps a slightly more fragile in the groove. Um, but then Djokovic is in the same boat. And at this stage, you'd probably put him ahead of team as his closest competitor at Roland Garros. It's going to be very interesting to see what team does, does in Lyon next week. I'm... Really interested in how the Nadal Djokovic rivalry has evolved. I was I was just looking at it today, and and we know about Novak Djokovic's dominance of that rivalry on a hard court. Nine straight wins, all in straight sets for the last eight years, and on clay now, Nadal has won the last five, one a year since 2017. And I was looking, and and there was a period from 2011 to 2016 when Djokovic beat Nadal on clay more times than Nadal beat Djokovic. They played 12 matches. Djokovic won seven of them. Now, Nadal still had the edge at Roland Garros. It was 3-1 in that period. But whenever they played, I had the sense that Djokovic could hurt Nadal. He could disrupt him and he could go into Roland Garros with some real confidence that he could beat him potentially. And it all sort of culminated in that 2015 season when he did do it at Roland Garros. But... Over the last few years, that has gone and Nadal has really dominated that rivalry on clay recently. I think Djokovic can be pleased that he got closer than he has for a while today. I think he he can be pleased with his performance. He, what, what has changed? Well, I think he used to be able to sort of dominate from the baseline. I think he could trust his backhand to push Nadal up, around and he could trust his forehand to hit winners. I don't think he creates the, the the same power necessarily on clay anymore. I don't I don't know whether it's something to do with perhaps the elbow surgery that he's had, but it it strikes me that he's having to construct points in different ways, more drop shots. I think he overused it at Roland Garros last year. I thought he yeah. got the balance much better today. It was it mm. did feel like a weapon for him. 
But it, it now feels like that match is really in Nadal's hands on clay. It feels like he really has the upper hand of that rivalry now. It's interesting what you say about the power because I I don't have any stats to back this up, but I thought he was hitting the ball noticeably harder in the final today than in any of his previous matches, Djokovic. Um, and I was actually quite struck by the power that, that Djokovic was was putting on the ball because, you know, he's not a power player. He's not feeble on the ball, but he doesn't win his matches by hitting the ball harder than 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 anybody else. He's not a Sabalenka. I thought he had really gone on to court today with with it in his mind to hit the ball as hard as he could. Um which yeah, I suppose I suppose plays into your your case, Matt, that maybe he feels that he's lacked a bit in power in the mm. previous clay court clay court meetings but I did feel like he had the power today um and that well I was trying that wasn't where he lost necessarily I, I was trying I was trying to analyze you know whether today's a positive or a negative for for Djokovic I'd say positive um, I, I felt he mm. I mean I didn't watch it all but what I did see he just looked clear and present in that match from ball one it didn't yeah, feel and he like still the, didn't win and ultimately know, he wants but, to to win Roland Garros and and Djokovic is and Nadal is better at Roland Garros than anywhere else. So if he didn't win in Rome, yeah, and and as you say, he played well and was dialed in. He was there. You you could absolutely make the case he was tired from the day before, but I would also say Nadal will be fresher at Roland Garros. He had had like, some very grueling tennis this I week. I feel like Goran Ivanovic was really angry and disappointed in Novak's performance in Roland Garros last year in that final I think he felt he let himself down with all the drop shots and and I don't think he felt he went into it mentally in the right frame of mind now yes Catherine you're right he lost today even though he went in with a good frame of mind he did also have all those hours of tennis in his legs from the day before so maybe look I think all he can do is what's under his control, which is come out and be the best version of himself. And if Nadal's too good for him, there's nothing else he can do, is there? Absolutely. I don't think he should have any regrets about today. Absolutely not. He played He played a great match. But in the context of Roland Garros, which is the reason he's playing Rome, he's very clear about the reason that he's playing anything is to win Grand Slams. I don't think today will make him feel confident about winning Roland Garros because ultimately you're probably going to have to beat Nadal to win Roland Garros and I don't see how today would boost his confidence of beating Nadal I think yesterday he would probably have been more confident in beating Nadal at Roland Garros than he is after today I think my argument to the country would be that he was close today the fact that he pushed him close means that he's got a chance because Nadal may not have his best day one day. And Nadal very nearly hurt himself today when he went sliding and mm. collided with that line. With the, there's, that, there's that sort of line that is nailed down in, in Rome. And it obviously got a raised bit. And he went hurtling across the court, slid, hit a winner cross court, tripped. And it's the second time he's tripped, I think, in in, in the tournament on, on one of those lines. And, and he went ballistic at the, the, the supervisor cross court, uh, side on the side of the court. I suppose my point is that N- Nadal at his best at the French Open beats 
probably beats Djokovic at his best at the French Open. That's just the way it is, I would have thought. Would anybody disagree with that? No, definitely not. And I think, based on what I said earlier, I think now more than ever that is the case. I think there was a period where Djokovic thought his best could beat Nadal's best at Roland Garros. He came, and I did as well. And I did. He came, he came very close a couple of times. He, he did beat Nadal. Nadal wasn't at his best that day. I think, I think there are parts of Djokovic's game which have declined on clay. And I've, I've said about the power, it could be something else. That's just what, kind of what comes to me. And I think he's having to, and he's capable of it, but he's having to try and win in different ways against Nadal. And he, I thought he executed it much better today. It was way better than he was in the Roland Garros final last year. So he's, he can probably take some confidence that he's taken a step. He's improved, but... I just I agree with Catherine. I think if Nadal brings his best, and he tends to at Roland Garros, it's Nadal's match at the moment. But, mm. but a an an interesting potential wrinkle is that Daniil Medvedev is going to be seeded above Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros. <laughs> <laughs> so they could so Nadal and Djokovic could meet in the semis. What oh. if Medvedev? Uh, what who's Medvedev taking out in this hypothetical semi-final scenario? No, no, I'm saying. I mean, Nadal and Djokovic could be on the same side of the draw. Oh, oh my God! And then there'll be and another the, side of the draw with Medvedev. Medvedev is going to be the second seed at Roland Garros. One Let's word take answer. A moment with that. <laughs> One word answer from you both. Um, here and now, team Sitsipas, Djokovic. Who's the biggest threat to Nadal as you see it right now? Right now, I'm going to say Sitsipas. I'm going to say Sitsipas too, but I would like to revisit this question after I've seen Team in Lyon, please. Okay, all right. What about you, David? Well, um, well I would probably still say Djokovic um, because I think everything being equal at the moment, I think he probably beats the others and gives himself a chance. I still think Nadal at his best takes him out, but I don't think, I think we can too easily just assume Nadal at his best. And we have all the evidence Mm. in the world to convince us that that's what we're likely to get. But I still think it's so easy to just say it and assume it will happen. But I think Djokovic puts himself in a position where he has a crack at him or has a, cr- a crack at going deep. I can't believe Medvedev wasn't even in the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have had anybody. You, you didn't have to go David. for one of those three. You could have gone for Medvedev, Catherine. <laughs> you opted not to. If you'd like to it revisit could be it. The, it could be the ultimate hustle, couldn't it? The ultimate <laughs> playing possum. What you mean? Throughout just the turns whole play court season up to and goes, ha. I've known how yeah. to do this all along. See, this is my O2 form right here. Have some of that. Yeah. All of those other years of playing Roland Garros were built towards this moment. Mm-hmm. Deliberately underperformed. But, he's, but does he deploy it this year? If that is the case, how long does how long a game does he play? But would that <laughs> be allowed? I love clay on the camera thing. I mean, would would he then be accused of tanking because he sort of strategically decided to? You just can't underplay. retrospectively punish <laughs> someone for tanking. 
<laughs> Can on the tennis podcast. Anyway, four Roland Garros worths of tanking that he's already played. Then, <laughs> <laughs> right? Doubles final was won by Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic. I seem to say that every week. Uh, it's the yeah, sixth title of the ridiculous. season for them. What a fantastic team! And they should have won Madrid, shouldn't they? They were set up in that one as well. Uh, mm. They beat. Um, uh, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. So big congratulations to Mektic and Pavic for their sixth title of the season. Uh, we've got a heck of a week coming up in terms of, of players playing and trying to grab some form. Catherine's already mentioned Dominic team. For some reason, Stefano Sitsipas is also in the draw because he just can't do anything other than play tennis. Uh, he's playing Leon, as uh, is Aslan Karatsev against Yannick Sinner in the first round. Wow, that is no. a belter. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's in the notes. Must be true. Uh, we've got Ogelia Seam <laughs> against uh, Massetti, and we've got Nori against Mute. Uh, a certain Mr. Roger Federer is back in Geneva. Uh, he's given a press conference. He's said that he has been vaccinated, uh, which is great news. At least I think it is, anyway. Um, and uh, he, his statement well, was fantastic. Yes, it was. Well done, Roger Federer. It's a uh, plays really great athlete vaccination statement. Yeah, plays Pablo Andahar or Thompson. What, who's the what's the first name? Thompson, Matt. Jordan. Jordan, Jordan that's the one. I've forgotten that. Uh, in Palmer, we've got Serena Williams playing. Um, Venus Williams is there as well. She plays a qualifier in the first round of Serena and could play one of my favourites, Clara Towson, in the second round. That would be explosive. Uh, Coca Goff, Amanda Anisimova, Petra Martic all there in the WTA event in Belgrade. Pavlichenkova and Putinseva are the top seeds. And the ATP Belgrade event is the week after, isn't it? Is that right? Mm. Mm. So Djokovic and is going to play again? Djokovic is going to play again the week before the French Open. Um mm. And there was some speculation before Rome about whether if he, you know, got the matches he needed in Rome, whether he really would play Belgrade. I mean, the, the pools for him to play there are obvious. He's, you know, his his family own the event or co-own the event. Not quite sure exactly what the, the balance is there. It, it's heavily dependent on, on him, understandably so. Um, but he, hint, I think it was in his pre-Rome press conference, he mentioned that uh, he was asked about the documentary crew that's been following him around all year. And he mentioned that they were going to be in Belgrade filming with him. So presuming that's that uh, presumably that's sort of an extra booking on top of the actual tennis booking as to why um, mm. that might not be one that he can, he can miss, but yeah. That's interesting. So Nadal will have had two weeks off, which is perhaps too much. And Djokovic might have had just a little bit too little, given that Djokovic is the one that traditionally plays the least tennis going into a slam. Yeah. Of Intriguing. The, of the big three. You know, he's the guy that can rock up and win Wimbledon without a, without a warm-up tournament. So, yeah. It's, oh, I'm so it's, pumped. It's really interesting. Now? Yeah. This is amazing. Um, less amazing is the news that Andy Murray is not going to play the French Open after all. He was in Rome, as, uh, as you may recall, played in the doubles, won one, lost one. Felt some discomfort, unfortunately, and has decided against playing anymore on clay. 
he's returned home to focus on the grass court season. So we wish Andy Murray well. Um, he will certainly be intending to play the Cinch Championships at Queen's Club, um, an event he's won five times before, and then eventually go to Wimbledon. Um, may even play another grass court tournament, for all we know. I mean, I suppose that would make sense. There's the the Nottingham Open um, just before Queen's, and there's also the one in Stuttgart as well. So we'll wait and see. Um, a couple of stories from Simon Briggs, if you want to uh, have a look at the Telegraph website. One is a column on the Olympics, which he says is facing real challenges. I mean, obviously, the, tour- the, the event itself, as we know, has postponed from last year a huge weight of feeling in Japan, it would appear, about whether the Olympics should be going ahead or not. And a lot of people really don't feel like it should be at the moment. And uh, and Simon making the point that the, the tennis event could be turning into a bit of a fiasco because there's going to be so many holes in the drawer of players who just don't want to go. Um, so have a look at Simon's piece. It's very interesting. And also a, a bizarre story has, has come up that Simon's written about um, involving Diana Yastremska, um, who has been accused of attempting to cover up her, her doping allegations um, with a, a very unusual um, storyline involving her ex-boyfriend, um, which she has firmly denied and has actually put out a statement in which she says she's going to be taking legal action uh, against some of the uh, the claims made. Uh, yeah, so by all means, read her her emphatic denial on uh, on her social media pages, uh, which are currently up there. Her last um, three tweets are just statements. <laughs> oh God! Um, oh, anyway, dear. so there we are. Um, she's not playing at the moment for for all of those reasons. Um, we have happier news. We have uh, not one but two mascots beautiful cats bob is a lovely ginger cat marley is a little tabby uh, rescued by jonathan o'donoghue two days apart uh, during lockdown in late april 2020 Aww. in switzerland so thank you so much jonathan for for first of all backing us and for bringing your beautiful cats to our attention we're delighted to have them as our mascots for the week uh, got, i do like it when you, um when pet duos have coordinating names. Yes. Mm, big fan of that. And a great week to have a cat, two cats, because Iga Sviontek thanked her cat oh. in her p- post-victory speech in Rome, which was great Isn't as well. It was great. That's magnificent. Okay. Um, we also have our own mascots. Uh, Catherine has Zeus. I have Rogue. Matt has Scouse and Mousel. Uh, Billie Jean, the dog, has the wonderful Billie Jean King. Uh, we also have shout-outs, Matt. Yes, for Carol Hooper. All right, Carol. Hello, Carol. All I can think of is Tom Hooper, the uh, direct, the film director of King's Speech, Les Miserables. That's very But good. also, controversially, Cats. He's rather blotted his copybook <laughs> of late with what many consider to be one of the worst films ever made. Um, but before that, Os- Oscar-winning Oscar winning director. <laughs> but Carol Hooper is amazing, and we thank yes. you so much for your yes. support, no, Carol. No, Carol has blotted no copybooks. No. <laughs> She's brought ours alive. Matt. 
Next up is Hamya, backer Ooh. number 668. All right, Hamya. Oh, rock star with one name. Yeah, yep. not only uh, not only has just the one name, but also has the the number in there as well. So. Yes, tattooed Fantastic. tattooed about her person, his person somewhere. I'm assuming she because of Hanya Yanagihara, uh, which is is uh, uh, one letter different, Matt. Yes, yeah. Hamya, yeah, author of uh, a wonderful book that you should only read if you're feeling very <laughs> replete with the. Uh, <laughs> With emotional um, fortitude. Same with Cobra Kai, Catherine. Carry on, Matt. <laughs> and our last shout out today is for someone whose name I had to do a little bit of research for to hope that I pronounced it correctly. And I, I've landed on Tofam, is how to pronounce oh. it, I think. Tofam, thank you so much for your support. Uh, Hamia, thank you for your support. Carol, thank you for your support. You're all wonderful. Yes. And uh, with that, we'll be bringing this edition of the Tennis Podcast to a close. I will go and continue my attempts to persuade Catherine of the merits of Cobra Kai, the wonderful series on Netflix that we're not sponsored by. They're just, they're just getting all of this for free. I don't think they need it. I think they've done pretty well for themselves. But anyway, we'll be back with another Tennis Podcast on Thursday. Stop mentioning them. I work for their competitor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um <laughs> Not to worry. Um, how do we end this? Um, yeah, we'll be back on Thursday with another edition of the Tennis Podcast. This one is thankfully going back in time, all the way back to the 1920s with Suzanne Longland. And uh, we can't wait to dig into Matt's magnificent research and uh, learn all about Suzanne Longland. That's coming on Thursday. And we'll be back in, again with all the Federer and Serena Williams news and all the rest of it uh, in next week's show on Monday. But for now... We'll say goodbye. Bye. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 